0: I know I say this probably every Sunday, but I mean it every Sunday. It is so rich and good to be together. Just love being with you. I love you, and I'm thankful that we get to share life with each other. So, what a privilege. Well, this morning there's kind of a transition in our study of Hebrews. Chapter 3, we take a slight turn uh, as we change uh, the subject. It's still focusing on Christ, but he's going to take a different angle to promote... uh, what he's been doing all along, you'll remember when we began our study of Hebrews, we saw that the primary purpose of the author was made very clear, wasn't it? He is writing to proclaim the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Everything that we've done this morning, every song that we've sung, every place that we went when we talked about communion is intending to do the very same thing, proclaim the supremacy of of Jesus Christ. But we understand that there's a context to every letter written in the Bible, and the context to this particular letter is that the writer of Hebrews is speaking to a people, he's writing to an audience who is beginning to doubt their convictions, because their faith in Christ has led them into a life of persecution. And an easy solution for them, having come from the Jewish community, because these are Jewish Christians, an easy solution would be to re-enter back into that Jewish community in which they once had protection. But in order to do that, they would have to compromise their faith. They would have to deny their devotion to Jesus Christ. And so the author is writing to Urge them to hold fast to their confession of faith. Recognizing that Jesus is worth it. That one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That He's worth it. He is Lord of both heaven and earth. We've recognized as we've gone through Hebrews how He is greater than the angels as well as the prophets, including, as we will see this morning, Moses, who undeniably is the most revered prophet in all of the Old Testament, the most highly regarded within the Jewish community. And he's saying, Jesus is greater still. Greater than even Moses, who who saw, Jesus, who saw God face to face, who, uh, who brought the, the law to god's people, who, who built the tabernacle of God, who was divinely appointed by God to be a, a representative before his people, so it would be re- easy for these early Christians who are struggling in the face of persecution to kind of negotiate their way into some compromise and say, well, you know, if we were faithful to Moses, then surely that would be acceptable to God. And I think you and I probably hear that and think, well, that's kind of a silly conclusion. (laughs) And yet, I would suggest that it is a compromise that is equally as common in our world today, in our churches today. Because legalism, at its core, is a decision to follow the law of Moses, to to set aside your need for a Savior and find security in your ability to follow a list of rules. It's the exact same thing. And this was their temptation. But when we do that, it really puts us in control of our salvation and not God. In in many ways, it puts him indebted to our good behavior. But the gospel is clear salvation is not based on good behavior. It is based on surrender. It's based on the conviction that he is worthy, that he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise. So we hold fast to our confession, no matter what the cost. Let's pray before we open up his word. Father, as we come to you and open your word, we want to do so humbly. We want to have teachable hearts. We want to be willing to learn and appreciate the depths of your love for us, to exalt Jesus as a name above every name. Father, may you help us see that we endure because of the hope of our security in Jesus Christ, that that our destiny is fulfilled, that it is complete. As Brian reminded us, it's finished. It's established. And so, Lord, may you give us strength to endure the difficulties of life in this world knowing the eternal life that is secured through our faith in Jesus Christ. May our future hope give us strength in our present trials. Make that clear to us in your word this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, and I'd love for you to read with me beginning in verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession." Now I want to pause there because we're going to take a slight turn in, our, in, in this letter uh, to the Hebrews. And we see here that he's making a connection because he addresses the holy brethren. That's, that's how he's talking to them. But he's using that term specifically to make a connection to what had been said in the previous verses. Because in verse 11, if you look back in chapter 2, It says that Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brethren. He's acknowledging that by faith in Christ, we become a part of the family of God, having been set free from sin's penalty. And not only that, we have been set free from Satan's control. Our our sins have been forgiven in Christ, but that doesn't mean that we no longer struggle with sin. Every day. We talked about this last week, didn't we? Every day, the devil tempts us to trust in something or someone other than God. And you see, Jesus understands this temptation because he endured the suffering of that long obedience in the same direction, uh, an obedience to the point of death, even death on his cross. And and all throughout his life and ministry, Satan was tempting him to go His own way. To operate outside the will of the Father. But He faithfully endured. And He took on our humanity. And He understands the struggle. So He promises to give us strength to endure. Knowing this, the writer of Hebrews urges his readers to stand firm in their confession of faith. In their heavenly calling. You may remember the passage in Philippians 2 that talks about the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. I think this is the same thing. It's the heavenly calling. It's the the assurance that we have a hope of a resurrection and the promise of eternal life. That's our heavenly calling. And he's trying to help us see that if we know that we are secure in our heavenly calling, then it helps us persevere through our present trials. Paul reminds us how important it is to stand together when he writes to the Philippians and he says, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, that's their heavenly calling. That's our heavenly calling. And for this to happen, he points us to the the focus of our attention. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He says, consider Jesus. And and that's really an unfortunate translation because consider in the English language is a pretty weak word, isn't it? It's like the waiter who comes and says, would you consider having a salad with your meal? It's, It's not very heavy, is it? But in the original language, it is very heavy. It's a strong word. It means pay attention. It means look carefully. It means think deeply. And so what it's telling us is take a long look at Jesus. Consider who he is. Consider what he has done. It's the understanding as he goes on to say that he is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Which is interesting because this is the only time in the Bible where Jesus is identified as apostle. So so what exactly is the author trying to convey there? What does he want to teach us? Well, we know that the word apostle literally means sent one. And so that clearly applies to Jesus, doesn't it? In fact, in his high priestly prayer in, in John chapter 17, verse 18, he says as much. He says, and you, speaking of God, you sent me into the world. I also sent them into the world. So Jesus is an apostle in that he is sent by God. He is sent to represent God before man. But it also says that he is a high priest, which we talked about last week. In this role, instead of being a representative before, of God before man, as a high priest, he is a representative man before God. Because we know that the high priest is the one who offers a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. So as an apostle, Jesus represents God before man. As a high priest, he represents man before God, which tells us that he is both faithful to God and merciful to us. He is our mediator between God and man. Paul's letter to Timothy, he speaks of this. He says, for there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, and it's Jesus Christ. So the writer of Hebrews, knowing this truth, says, so fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider him. Think deeply. Pay careful attention. Because there's truth that transforms lives when that's the focus. Look at how he continues in verse 2. He says, he, speaking of Jesus, was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, but just so much as the builder of the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. The writer of Hebrews is, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, is wanting us to see the faithfulness of Jesus. And he wants us to learn from this example of how he was appointed by God to carry out a mission of God and he was faithful to fulfill it. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But we also see here that Moses was given a mission by God and he too was faithful to fulfill it, but there's a clarification here because it says that that mission of God was specifically carried out by Moses within the house of God. Now that's important because it's giving us a specific identifying people, because in the Old Testament, when that word "house" was used, it's talking about the household of God, and in that context it's talking about God's chosen people, the nation of Israel. And so you can see that in Numbers chapter 12, verse 7, where it says, He, Moses, is faithful in all my household. So the mission of Moses was specific to the nation of Israel. So even though they were both faithful, it says that Jesus is worthy of more honor. Because Moses was faithful in his house, But Jesus was faithful in the world, above every house that has ever existed. Because Moses led the the nation of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, but Jesus leads his people out of slavery to sin. Moses could not look upon the glory of God. He had to turn away. But Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Moses revealed the sacrificial system that ultimately pointed to Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. John writes in chapter 1, verse 17, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And so for these and many more reasons, (laughs) Jesus is worthy of more honor and glory and praise. His mission extends well beyond the nation of Israel. It includes it, but it goes beyond it. It says that the author says that Jesus is not just in the house, he's the builder of the house. In fact, there's not a house, not a people, not a tribe, not a nation that is in existence today outside of the creative work of our Savior Jesus Christ. And we know that because of Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So Jesus is worthy of more honor than Moses because Moses is a member of the household that Jesus built. Jesus is the creator. He is the builder of all things. And what's interesting is the the claim in verse 4 says that the builder of all things is who? God. So what this is telling us is that, that Jesus is God, which is why he's deserving of all glory and honor and praise above Moses or any prophet or any angel or any person that has ever existed. It's like the appreciation of a a beautiful piece of art. You might look on that piece of artwork. I remember when we went uh, to um, the museum. What's it called in D.C.? What's it called? Yeah, the Smithsonian. So whenever we went in and saw just some of the original paintings and some of the greatest artists who've gone in by mesmerizing because you would stare at these paintings and you would be drawn in by their colors or pulled into the scene. But any praise that you give to a painting simply gives honor to its artist. Moses is the painting. Jesus is the artist who brought it all to life, literally. Look at how he continues in verse five. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confession and boast of our hope firm until the end. Moses was a faithful servant in the household of God, and we need to understand that when he's using this term servant, it's not a demeaning term. In fact, the author is doing everything he can to uphold the integrity of the faithful witness of the prophet Moses. The way he does this in our passage is not easily seen because we look at that English word servant, and it looks the same as all the other words, but it's different. Because most often in the New Testament, when the word servant is used, it's a Greek word called called doulos. and translated, it means slave. But the word that he uses in this context is therapon. It's a completely different word. Also translated servant, but this word intends to describe a position of nobility given by someone in authority. So in this context, it's like a, a, a king who appoints a squire somebody who's given a a position of nobility by someone in authority. And and if you disrespect the position of that servant, then you're disrespecting the one who gave him that responsibility. And the same is true with Moses. He was appointed by God. He was sent like an apostle, right? He he was a, a mediator like a high priest. But everything about who Moses was was intended to point to someone greater than Moses. His life was a a foreshadowing, intentionally pointing to Jesus Christ. We know that this was the original intent because of what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. This is God speaking to Moses. And He said, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, Moses, and I will put My words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I have commanded him. He's, he's looking forward to the day in which Jesus Christ comes and serves in his ministry on the earth. Jesus, knowing this, in John chapter 5, verse 46, says, If you believed Moses, you would believe me. For Moses wrote about me, he spoke about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you are going to follow Moses, you will find your hope ultimately fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because everything about the life of Moses was intended to point to Jesus, the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And where Moses was faithful as a servant, the author goes on and says that Jesus was faithful as a son. Jesus didn't give the law, he fulfilled the law. He didn't give a sacrifice, he became a sacrifice. He he was not faithful in the house, he was faithful over the house. He was the builder of all things. He was God. A house, the author points out, to which we belong, because he says that in verse 6, doesn't he? Whose house we are. And so what this is telling us is that this house now includes us. So not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles. Slave and free, male and female. What he's talking about is the church. And so this begins to apply directly to you and I. He says, you belong. But then there's an interesting phrase there at the end of verse 6, where he says, whose house we are, if. We hold fast our confession to the end. Now, when you read this, it kind of sounds like a condition, doesn't it? Apparently suggesting that somehow our security is based on our performance if we hold fast. But we know that that absolutely contradicts with everything about the gospel, doesn't it? Which tells us that our works neither save us nor do they keep us saved. So what is the author trying to communicate here? I believe what it's saying is that endurance is an evidence of belief. Endurance is an evidence of belief. Because remember, he's writing to an audience who is threatening to abandon their faith, denying their devotion to Jesus in order to avoid the the persecution, the, the rejection from the society in which they lived. And the author seems to be saying, you don't know Jesus if you choose to abandon Jesus. He is worthy to receive glory and honor and praise. That's why he says back in verse 1, consider Jesus, pay attention, look closely, think deeply. Because if you go back to the law, you're rejecting the one who fulfilled the law. He's the one all the prophets, including Moses, pointed to. So if you really want to honor Moses, then put your trust in Jesus Christ. The law was given to reveal sin. Jesus came to forgive sin. The law requires perfect obedience, but Jesus thankfully understands the weakness of our humanity. How? Because he took on flesh and blood. And we talked about it last week. He, he suffered in all things. He was tempted in all things and yet without sin. And so he understands how frail our humanity can be. After all, being our high priest assumes that we are prone to sin and we need a mediator. It's the high priest's job to offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people, which is exactly what Jesus did. And so when we fail, Jesus reminds us of his forgiveness. When we struggle, Jesus reminds us of his strength. When we fall, Jesus comes beside us. And he restores us. Our works cannot save us, nor they can they keep us safe. Only Jesus can do that. And endurance does not require perfect obedience, just honest confession. Lord, I need you. It's the belief that Jesus will hear our cry. That he succeeds where we fail. Our endurance does not secure our faith. It only shows that our faith is secure. It does not secure our faith, but it does show that our faith is secure because really the motivation of endurance is the assurance of our hope in Jesus Christ. Because if we know that 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 heavenly calling, that promise of the resurrection and eternal life, if we know that's secure, then it gives us strength to endure. So consider Jesus. We hold firm to our confession of faith, no matter what the cost, believing that Jesus is worth it and that he holds us secure. That's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter three, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, we press on towards the goal for the prize of, if we use in our, what he says in Hebrews, the heavenly calling Of God in Christ Jesus. So maybe this week, one of the helpful exercises might be for us to take that simple encouragement from this passage and just take some time to consider Jesus. And here's how I would encourage you to do that. One of the things that's been helpful for me, I was reading recently a book um, called uh, Ichthus. And it's talking about the person of Jesus Christ as the Son of God, our Savior, which is what ichthys means. And he goes on to talk about different episodes in the life of Jesus, his incarnation, his transfiguration, his baptism, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. It's thinking deeply about Jesus. But you don't need that book because you have the Bible, and so I would encourage you to open your Bibles this week and consider Jesus. And I was going to give you several verses, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you one, okay? And here's that verse, John chapter 1, verse 14. Let me read that. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw His glory. Glory is of the only begotten, or in other words, one of a kind, from the Father, full of grace in truth. Now, that's a verse that probably many in this room are familiar with, right? But I want you to think deeply about it, okay? I want you to look at that verse and think, what does it mean to become flesh and blood, and why is that important? We've been talking about that. Why why is the humanity of Jesus such a big deal? Think deeply about that. Go on and consider what it means to to see his glory it says that we saw his glory ask yourself the question what did it look like if we saw his glory what did we see think deeply about that you can go on and consider what it means to be full of grace and truth why those two things why why is he highlighting that grace and truth think deeply about jesus And I would encourage you to take this conversation into the context of your community and think deeply about Jesus together. And look, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I would encourage you to look at this same verse and consider what it means if it's true. That that he came for you in flesh and blood, in grace and truth. Think deeply about Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that draws our attention to what is most important. Because you know we live in a world that distracts us by lesser things. And we need to be brought back to the very heart of our faith. We need to think deeply about Jesus. To hold firmly to our confession. To know that Jesus is worth it. Father, help us to find strength to endure as we are convinced that you will hold us fast. That that our endurance does not secure our faith. it, It shows that our faith is secure in you. So Lord, help us to see that clearly this morning and carry that boldly as we leave into the world in which we live. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please stand. Let's sing together. It's good news, isn't it? And so I want you to leave with a clear understanding that your security is not based on how much you can hold on to Jesus. It's the assurance that Jesus holds on to you. Because it says, hold fast to your confession. What is your confession? Your confession is that he's got you. That you're secure in the eternal promises of eternal life, that he has got you, that like we just saying, he holds you fast. That's your confession. That's what you're holding on to. Listen, I know that through life, all of us, myself included, are going to go through some dark and desperate times. And it's in those moments that we need to have this conviction within us that he's got me, that he's holding me because you may not figure out a way, you may not know a way to get through. I've had some of those moments lately where where I've thought, Lord, I don't know that I can do this, but I've got to trust that you got me. And so I pray for you today that you find that security in his faithful promises and that he will hold you fast and that your eternity is secure. Amen. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be together as a family. Thank you that we are your household, the household of God, brothers and sisters in Christ from our Savior, that he will hold us fast. So, Lord, may we hold fast to that confession. May we believe in its truth. May we be assured of the conviction that we are eternally secure in Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a great day.